The scripture reading for today is from Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hello again. Thank you very much for reading that. Is it McKenna? Yeah. You're a wildebore. We have some wildebores in Bethel Edmonton, too, so that's kind of cool. Anyway, so our passage this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And when most people think of Acts chapter 2, they think of Pentecost, right? This was the day that launched the church. So the believers are together, they're in the upper room, they're praying because Jesus told them to come together and pray. And then the Holy Spirit comes down like fire and wind, and an incredible thing happens. Peter stands up and preaches, and day one of the church, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Imagine that. This morning, we preach the gospel, and all of a sudden, there's 3,000 people at our doorstep. That would be crazy. And that's how it felt for them. Can you imagine? These are these are fishermen, these are tax collectors, these are ordinary fellas. And all of a sudden they have 3,000 people who want to learn more, who want to grow in their faith. And so they're left with the question, how are they going to organize themselves? How are they going to structure the church? What's it going to look like? And so Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, commentators writing about chapter 2 said that this is the thesis paragraph of the early church. This is the first way that the church organized itself. And so how this church was founded in the 50s, correct? Bethel was founded in Edmonton about 40 years ago. We're about to have our 40-year anniversary one of my friends is a pastor in Edmonton at First Church, and, and they've been around for 100 years. There's churches that our classes is planting in the future. And no matter how old the church is, no matter uh, how many years people have been journeying together, Acts 2, 42 to 47 poses us uh, some fundamental questions. And it uh, can be a really good check for every church, regardless of where we are in our journey. So just like Bethel Lacombe, Bethel Edmonton has been part of the Renewal Labs process. You guys know you're in the Renewal Labs process. You've been talking about that. 
It's from Calvin Seminary. I went to Calvin Seminary, and, and basically the, the goal is to renew churches, both big and small and young and old, and for churches to enter on a path towards greater discipleship. And so part of one of the tools of Renewal Labs for adult discipleship, I'm, I'm actually the adult discipleship coach for classes, and one of the tools that we're giving to churches is something called the Reveal Survey. Did Bethel Lacombe do the Reveal Survey? Yes, you did. Okay, so you're familiar with that. And so we did that at Bethel Edmonton, and we had some very interesting data come back to us. So at Bethel, we have about 20 small groups, or we did last year. And these groups, where we meet on Sunday, but then during the week, we meet in each other's homes and we do small group. And so we did the reveal survey and we asked a question to people in small groups. We said, do you feel like you're growing spiritually in your small group? And then we got the results. (laughs) 60% of people at our church felt that their small group was not helping them grow spiritually. They might come together for a Bible study. They might come together and eat a plate of cookies. But people were unhappy with their small groups and felt like they were not growing. Do you guys have small groups at Bethel Lacombe? Got a few of those going on? Yeah, cool. Well, most churches do. Um, And so last year, I finished schooling. I've been at Bethel for 10 years, but I finally finished my degree and was a candidate for ministry. And Bethel called me as a second pastor And so they tasked me with this portfolio on small groups (laughs) because they realized that they were hitting the alarm bell going 60% of our people feel like they don't even like their small group. They're not growing spiritually. And so since 2013, uh, when I became a commissioned pastor, I've been mentored by a pastor named Victor Coe. Are you guys familiar with him? You've seen him come through. An amazing man of God. And I've had a chance to have a coffee with him once a month or maybe something a little stiffer once a month with him. And, and we've talked about ministry for the last five years. And at Mosaic House Church, when they planted their church, they didn't start by meeting on Sunday mornings. They started by meeting in each other's homes through something called House Church. And so for the last five years, I've had beaten into me with love <laughs> by Pastor Victor Coe this House church model for church. And it's interesting because people think, oh wow, this is such a radical new idea. But the truth is that this is the most traditional idea out there. In fact, it is the way that the church first started to organize itself, the way that the church first started to do discipleship, the way the church first started to take care of each other and then reach into the world and do mission. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about House Church today. At Bethel Edmonton, we introduced it this year. We're four and a half months in, and we already have seven house churches running in our church. And so through this sermon today, we're going to kind of whet your appetite a little bit. And then after the service, after we have some amazing soup and buns, and I really hope some of that Dutch cheese, I hope somebody brought that along. I'm not Dutch, but I've certainly learned to like the cheese. (laughs) Anyway, after that, we're going to have a workshop. We're going to talk a little bit about, is this attainable? How do we build this? And I've brought two house church leaders from my church. Josh and James, won't you just wave? And they're going to help out. And these are guys who have taken this on. 
So long before the church had incredible buildings, long before there was a system of paid staff and clergy and seminaries, long before there were church growth seminars and conferences, long before there were slick Sunday morning services, the church was all about house gatherings. Believers coming together in their homes to grow together. Nobody in the first century would say, I'm going to church. (laughs) Because for them, the church was people. They were the ecclesia, the people that God was calling out from among the nations and bringing together as his own people. And so they wouldn't say, we're going to church. They said, we are the church. And they would meet together in their homes. And so Acts 2, 42 to 47, like I said, commentators say, that's like the thesis paragraph for what the early church was. And here was a community different than any community that had existed in the history of the world. Think about this. Coming together in somebody's living room were rich people and poor people. Coming together in somebody's living room were people of every ethnicity in the known world. You might have a Roman soldier, somebody high up in the empire, sitting next to a slave. And they would be friends. And that was crazy. That was completely countercultural. That was a game changer in that day. They were from very different walks of life, yet they learned to worship the same God. They discovered they had the same Father, and they were impacted by the same Spirit. The early church was like a trail mix, all kinds of different flavors together, with maybe a few nuts like me, and maybe some of you thrown into the bunch. And here they were, and they grew, and they grew, and they grew, because the Spirit was there. They prayed together. What does Acts 2, 42 to 47 tell us about their practices? This Spirit-led community, what did they look like? Well, in verse 42, and I encourage you, if you have a Bible, please, please stick your finger in the Bible and follow along with me. Let's make this really interactive this morning, okay? So Acts 2.42, we see in the first verse it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And so they had the literal first century apostles with them. Can you imagine how neat that would be? If this morning, instead of some guy from Edmonton, you had Peter, authoritatively speaking, A man who wrote scripture, right? So they gathered together to study the apostles' teaching. Of course, we have the apostles' teaching today. We may not have the literal apostles with us, but we have the apostles' teaching in the form of the word of God. Every single New Testament book can be linked to one of those early apostles. That's how they made it into this canon of scripture. So the first thing they did when they came together was study the apostles' teaching. Next it says, to fellowship, right? This is that uniquely Christian word I'm sure you've heard preached on a ton, koinonia. 
This is that unique community when followers of Jesus come together and the Spirit of God is there and he fuses them together and they support each other and they love each other and they make their world better together. So they had koinonia. Then it says, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Something that's interesting about this passage is Luke calls it the breaking of bread. And so if you look in the Greek, there's that definite article right there. And so this means that they are more than just eating bread together and having meals together. This is the breaking of bread. And so Luke is bringing our attention to something. He's talking about the Lord's Supper, right? So they had a meal together, and then they celebrated the Lord's Supper right there in their homes, and so you see, depending on the denomination, now our polity is a little interesting in the CRC. Right? We have a, a more closed table than many denominations, and, and that's fine. We have good reasons for that. But in the early church, they did the Lord's Supper when they came together right there in their homes. Then it says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Right after it says prayer. So when they came together and they prayed together, there was an expectation that God was going to show up in a manifest way, that people were going to be healed, that people were going to become Christians. There was this momentum and this excitement in their community because when they prayed, they actually believed God was going to answer their prayers. In verse 44 and uh, 45, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And so these early clusters of home gatherings, they took care of each other and their needs. If somebody was in need, someone helped them out. So everyone was in need. Nobody went hungry. And verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so they're eating together, probably not Dutch cheese in this time, which is unfortunate. But they are eating together. But you'll notice right from the beginning of the church, there are two equally important gatherings. There is a time in the temple courts, all together as a very large group. But then there's these individual houses that are meeting together. And so right from the beginning, there's a large group and a small group. Okay? And it says they... The eight, yeah, and verse 37, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So they worshipped together. It's interesting, in the New Testament, we have, for instance, in Philippians chapter 2, we have recorded for us one of the early hymns of the early church. And so they wrote their own music, and it meant something to their individual communities. They sang together whenever they were together. And then the last verse says, And the Lord added to their number daily... Those who are being saved. So these home clusters were not just insular. They were not just for the support of one another, but they were missionally minded. Before you knew it, their friends and their neighbors and their aunts and their uncles and other people started to join these house gatherings, which led to more house gatherings and more house gatherings. Now we know this didn't just happen in Jerusalem. This also happened in Corinth. If you read David Pryor's commentary on the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 
He notes that in Corinth, there was a similar pattern. So these small group of friends started house churches, and then there were so many house churches in Corinth that they knew they needed to come together as a larger group. Right? It started with a small group, but then before you know it, when you start splitting into other groups, you have this desire to still connect, to be equipped, right? to learn together the apostles' teachings. And so they found Christians who were wealthier, who had large courtyards outside. And so they would meet in their house gatherings, and then they would go to a wealthy Christian's house and all hang out as a large group in the courtyards. So again, we see small gathering, large gathering. Neither one more important than the other. Both very, very important. For early Christians, house churches were fundamental for discipleship. Now, how many people here have been part of a small group? Put up your hand. Okay, so most people in North American Christianity have been part of a small group. And usually it goes something like this. You come together at somebody's house. Somebody is in charge of snack. And that's usually the same lady every time because she makes the best snacks, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. There's one in every group, and her cookies are just phenomenal. So somebody makes a plate of cookies. Then usually the group will choose some sort of study. So it might be out of a book, it might be somebody's really talented in the group of teaching, or it might be, and have you ever seen those Ray Vanderland videos? Everybody loves Ray Vanderland, right? And so you have cookies, Ray Vanderland, and at the end you go around the circle and you pray. And some people feel comfortable praying out loud, some people don't. And usually everybody feels like they have to give up some sort of prayer request. And it might be really authentic, it might be something that's deep in their lives, but it might be like... I have a third cousin in Estonia <laughs> and she broke her leg and could we pray for her? Because you feel like you have to give something up but you don't want to show too much vulnerability, right? And so a lot of small groups in North America look something like that. They might get some Bible teaching, they might begin to build community but, but often it doesn't go much further than that and, th- and that was the place that Bethel, Edmonton was at. We had some groups, but when you ask them questions like, do you support each other? And are you growing spiritually together? If they were very honest, and they are. People are very honest in our church. <laughs> I don't know, are they honest here too? Amen? It's, good. it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And they realize, yeah, no, actually we're not growing. And so this small group model, while it has had some effectiveness somewhere, could use some revamping. And if you're a church like we are that, that feels the need to reinvent itself or to have a time of renewal, to bring in young people, to keep young people, house church is a great way to go because more than just a plate of cookies and some Ray Vanderland, a small group's a house church says we are a small group that's going to embody the full mission of the church. We are going to be a little church. A church in microcosm, a reflection of the larger gathering, but in a smaller gathering. So what if we did that today? What if we unlocked the true power of a small group like the early church did? What if we returned to the most traditional way of church, the ancient and tried and true principles of the early church? What if we did that? I want to share with you a story that I think illustrates this well. 
So this summer, and I actually have a picture, but I'll tell you when to bring it up. Not, not quite yet. So this summer in Florida, there's a little community, and they have a beach. And a number of families went to a beach like they normally would on a sunny Florida day. Actually, for Renewal Labs, we get to go to Florida in two weeks, so I'm pretty pumped about that. But that's a side note. So this family goes to the beach. There's five of them that go to the beach, and the littlest boy goes swimming. Okay, And, and he goes out way too far into the water, and he actually gets caught into a riptide. And it gets pretty scary. And so all four of the other family members jump in and go swimming after this boy. But the problem is, is they get stuck too. Okay, so there's people screaming. There's five people who might drown at the beach that day. Meanwhile, there's this woman named Jessica Simmons, and she's eating egg salad sandwiches, you know, with her family at the beach, and she sees these people drowning. She sees the scene, and she's a woman of action. And so she gets up from her egg salad, and she says, these people are not dying today. She says, not on my watch. And so you know what she did? She didn't go swim out there. What she did is she rallied people together at the beach. People who are complete strangers, people from every different walk of life, every different color and age. And she said, we need to save these people. And so you can put up the picture now. This is what she did. She had 80 Eight zero, not eighteen. Eight zero people link arms in the water, all the way out to this family. Isn't that incredible? And this family was passed through the chain and was rescued. And the mother of this family of five, she said this: "These people were God's angels. God sent them there to rescue us." Can you imagine the emotion of that scene? The CBC reporter talks about it. And I think, I think this is a really good picture for church community. Sometimes we talk about people in the world and we say, go into the, all the world and make disciples, right? And so we're taught that you need to learn how to share your faith, right? And so we do our very best to try and learn how to present the faith. We might use something like Romans Road or the Four Spiritual Laws. There's all these different ways that we can present our faith because at the end of the day, we don't want people to go to hell. We don't want people to have an uncertain eternity without knowing Jesus Christ the Savior. You don't, you don't want that, amen? No, of course we don't want that. But you know what? When you put it on one person, that's really intimidating because you sit across from somebody and you're like, oh man, what do I say? What if they bring up this thing or that thing and I don't have the answers or whatever? But the truth is, evangelism was always meant to be a community project. Mission was always meant to happen in community. And so you're going to hear stories later of house churches where a group of friends together said, not today. That family is not drowning today. And as a house church, they begin to pray for them. And then ask God, what can we do to bless this family? Sometimes it means buying a family a car. Sometimes it means dropping off a meal. The groups know because they've been praying for people. Right? And they say, not today. You see, there's a whole world of people out there who don't know Jesus Christ. And some in Canada who, when they think of Jesus, all they think of is religion. And they think, that doesn't actually make a difference in my life. How can Jesus actually help me? 
And they may not realize it. They may be numbing themselves with wealth and substances and experiences and all these things. And they're looking for God. And they don't even realize it. And it takes a crowd of people who love Jesus Christ that say, these people are not going to drown today. Not on my watch. Who band together to show the love of Jesus There are Christians. There might be people in this church that feel like they're drowning. Who are going through things. And they need a crowd of people to say, not today. They are not drowning on my watch. You know, Sunday morning is incredibly important. In fact, after now seven years of seminary on the side, I can see like, how much of a pastor's education has to focus on Sunday morning, it's probably 80%. It is ridiculously high. But the problem is, is that while Sunday morning is good, while we can worship together, while we come around God's word together, while we have a nice coffee together, if Sunday morning is our only experience of faith, then we probably aren't getting the discipleship or the community that we need. The truth is, in a, in a large church, at Bethel, we have 600 people that come, right, on Sunday. We have two services. And if somebody doesn't show up on a Sunday, nobody notices, <laughs> right, because there's 600 people. Your church is large, large enough that if somebody doesn't show up, you might not notice either, right? You might think, ah, well, what's going on there? And so it's easy on a Sunday morning for people to slip through the cracks. And it's very easy for a newcomer to come into a large gathering and feel completely lost. But you see, a small group gathering, or in particular a house church, if you don't show up for house church, people notice. People ask questions. People say, hey, how are you doing? How's your life? Right? So Sunday morning is important. It's critical. It's, but on an equal plane ought to be our midweek worship ought to be our smaller gatherings because this is the model of church that grew the church enormously at the beginning. The spirit was in it. And if you look, is there any missions people here today? Right? People who support, you guys support CRWM. I'm sure you have for years. I'm sure you have missionaries. And I'm sure they've told you stories, right? Of how in China, right? In many places, the church is very restricted. And you know, millions of people are coming to Christ, And it's not through Sunday morning. It's through indigenous house churches that move from neighborhood to neighborhood where people come together and worship in their homes and study the scripture in their homes and pray for each other. If you look in Africa, if you look all around the world, the places that the church is growing the fastest and having a deep impact is through these smaller gatherings. And so I think this is a call to us to put the smaller gatherings on an equal playing field with Sunday morning. And so what does that look like? Well, I'm going to share with you a little bit more, but then the workshop will get more into the nitty-gritty. But this is what my house church looks like. So like I said, at Bethel, we have seven right now. And so all of them look a little bit different from the other. And if you guys start a house church, it will look different than it does in Edmonton. We have a church in, or a house church in Fort Saskatchewan that's starting up, and, and we look like that one's looking a lot different. We have women's house churches, all kinds of different house churches. So it's, it's very flexible. But let me run you through what, what mine looks like. 
So we used to be a conventional small group, and we had a really hard time with attendance because we all have children. In fact, we have 12 children under the age of five. It's a nuthouse. It's crazy, right? And so it used to be that a mom would come or a dad would come, but not, the, not both because, you know, babysitting's expensive these days. Young people, you're making lots of good money. Like minimum wage goes up, so does babysitting. It's like 12 bucks an hour for a babysitter. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, that's another thing. So all these people weren't showing up at our small group because they couldn't afford it. Right? They couldn't afford $48 to send, you know, to buy a babysitter so they can go to small group. And so we had half the people attend. But then we realized, you know what? This needs to be intergenerational. We need to get our kids involved. And so what we did is we called up some of the teenagers in our church and we said, hey, how would you make, like to make 50 bucks an hour? And they're like, yeah, I'm listening. It's for the Lord, right? <laughs> and so what we did is we said, we're going to give a babysitter $5 a kid. But the deal is this. That they, we're we're going to take, take them downstairs while the adults are studying the Bible and praying together. And uh, in that 75 minutes, they're going to go through some things. <laughs> Right? All the moms are like, yeah. And don't bring them upstairs unless they're bleeding. Okay? And even then, it has to be maybe an artery or something like that. Right? <laughs> and so what we do is at 6 o'clock, we come together for a potluck. And so everybody brings something. We, we rotate dishes. You know, the meats, the salads, the whatever. Man, people love to eat. Right? And if you look in Scripture, there's something holy about eating. Wherever there's food, cool things happen. Right? There's a fellowship. People look each other in the eye instead of looking at their iPhone. I haven't had my iPhone for like 20 minutes, and I'm already shaking, right? But at a potluck, right, you connect with each other. And so these families are connecting. They're having a potluck. The kids are involved with that. And then the babysitter shows up for their 75 minutes to make 55 bucks. They take the kids away. And then we sing some songs. We say, who has a song that means something to them? Who has a worship song that's been going on in their head? And people share songs. It's, this song meant something to me while my father was passing away. This song is the song that we had at our wedding. And so in homes, we worship together. And now, like Wayne's, like Wayne's friend, that was a great story, by the way, Wayne. Wayne's, uh, Wayne's friend, they were all musically talented. And so yeah, occasionally you have somebody in a group who pulls out their harp and you know, plays a song, but not usually. But you know what we have today for worship is we have... Uh, YouTube, okay? So most people have some sort of television with a Chromecast or some sort of smart TV. And so they'll go to YouTube and all of the worship songs are on there. And in fact, it has the lyrics at the bottom. And so we'll sing a couple songs and Matt Redman will lead us in worship right in our living room. So we'll sing together and, and people say, this is why this song means something to me. The thing about the early church was they had their fingers all over the worship. They were writing their own songs. It were songs that meant something to the community, right? And so in a house church, these songs are deeply meaningful. The next thing we do is we open up the Bible and we take turns. We take turns opening up, preparing, sharing some questions. We've made it so that Bethel provides questions that people can use based on the Sunday morning service to link them together, or people who are more adventurous can go off and do their Ray Vanderland, or they could do their own, their own thing, but we give people a choice. 
And then probably the most important part is, is we pray together at the end. And so we do two kinds of prayer. One is called inward prayer. One is called outward prayer. Inward prayer goes like this. What's going on in your family? And how can we pray for that together? And people are encouraged to be vulnerable and authentic. You know, not to pretend like everything's okay, but to share from their hearts. And so they do. But then the second part is outward prayer. And this is where it gets really, really cool. So everybody is encouraged to pray for somebody who is on their journey to God. We ask the question, who's in your sphere of influence who needs Jesus Christ? Or maybe it's somebody who came to church for a long time and they need a fresh expression of church. And so every week we pray for this group of people over and over and over again. Before you know it, your own personal prayers, you're praying for these people. And when prayer comes together, God moves, amen? Like prayer works, right? God shows up. And so the next thing you know it, groups start asking the question, how can we bless the people that we're praying for? God, show us how we can partner with these people on their road to God. And so then instead of one person with all the answers who goes and does evangelism, we all do it together. And so in our group, we had with somebody, one of their siblings who's getting a divorce, and it's messy and it's hard, and they share in the group, oh man, this, this dad, he doesn't know how to cook. And he's struggling to take care of two kids by himself. And one woman in our group, who I didn't think actually understood what we were trying to do, said, wait a minute, I can cook. And so we drop off like 12 lasagnas at this guy's house. And they say, we're Christians, we've been praying for you. We're friends of so-and-so. Man, I tell you what, sometimes lasagna is as great as the four spiritual roads, or the four spiritual laws, right? Some people are really afraid of sharing their faith, but who's afraid of making a lasagna? Who's afraid of shoveling somebody's snow? And so the next thing you know, it you get this momentum, right? And people start coming to Christ. And so, yeah, that's kind of how a house church works. I want to say just a couple more things. The first is, is that there is a lot of people today out in our world, and maybe you've tried to invite them to church. And church is just not their thing. There's a lot of people in that 20 to 40 range, right? Millennials. And we give millennials such a hard time. And I just want to say, actually, they're not, they're not so bad. <laughs> in fact, they want authenticity. They care about justice. They love people, like, deeply. They love community deeply in a way that many generations, you know, for millennials, community is very, very important. And for many of them, being invited to a Sunday morning service, it's just not going to happen. Because they're skeptical of people who get paid to preach. Right? Because many people have gone on TV and you know, bought themselves fancy planes. I'm still waiting for my fancy plane. This hasn't showed up yet. Right? So they're suspicious of clergy. They're suspicious of institution. Right? I put my money in the offering plate. Where does it go? What's going on here? Who makes the decisions, right? They're suspicious of authority figures. They're suspicious of structures. But you invite them to a house gathering, and that's a bit of a game changer. You invite them over for some of that Dutch cheese, and you, and you have that, that knife that makes the cheese so thin you could see through it. Does anybody have that knife? Where do you buy those? I want to find out, because I'd like to save money on my cheese. But you invite a 20-something over for soup and buns, they're going to show up. 
And so it's a refreshing way of church. So maybe you're here today and you say, well, this sounds really good, but I'm, I couldn't possibly do that. And I want to say this, that we've been at this now for a little bit, and we didn't know what we're doing. We're just trusting God. We're reading the scriptures and saying, let's give it a shot and see what happens. My, my mentor, Pastor Victor Coe, has a saying. He says, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And that's kind of hokey, but it's completely true. If God calls you and you feel like you're not sufficient, good news, it doesn't matter (laughs) because Jesus is sufficient. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He followed all 613 laws in the Old Testament. He fulfilled the law. He died on the cross because he loves you with an everlasting love. He did it because he knew we could not. Because he knows we're broken. And so that same Jesus that we put our faith in for our salvation, we can put our faith in him for everything. For empowerment. Why did it work in the early church? It wasn't because they had this cool new model. It was because they had the Holy Spirit. Jesus poured out his spirit on the people and they became people they didn't know they could be. And so if you feel a tug in your heart today, and then there's this voice that says, ha, you could never do that, blah, 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 blah. You can say to that voice, no voice. Jesus died for me. His is the victory, and I'm his son, I'm his daughter. And by the Spirit, we can't do this. So I'm going to invite up the worship team, because I think the next part is worship. And, uh, and we'll pray together to close this message, Okay. All right, let's come to God in prayer. God, you are holy. You are infinite. You created the universe and you hold it together. God, we thank you that despite the fact that you are so amazing and so above us, you have made yourself available to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you came You died and you rose again, Jesus. And that now you give us the Holy Spirit. I pray for Bethel Lacombe. I thank you for the legacy of faith in this church that since the 50s it has been faithfully proclaiming the gospel to the people of Lacombe. And I pray, God, for this Renewal Labs process that you would bless them. Lord, bless this church. Lord, as they step out in faith, as they step out into the unknown, as they experiment, as they try things, Lord, would you meet them in that place? Would you pour out your spirit? And I pray, Lord, that the best days for Bethel Lacombe are in the future. There have been great days in the past. It's going good now, but the best days would be in the future. God, bless us now as we continue to worship. Bless us as we have soup and buns. Lord, we love you, and to you be all honor and glory. And all God's people said together, amen.